Hello, friends, and welcome to Bet On You Radio, where every week we have an amazing guest sharing inspiring stories to help give you the tools you need to bet on yourself and win. I am here, Ben Whiting, with my dear friend and colleague, Angie Morgan Witkowski. Angie, you're not in studio today. I am not in studio, nor are you. You are in your home studio. I am in my St. Louis studio, which just so happens to be at the Chase Hotel. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, we keep doing this. You know, we, we talked about this early on. We both travel a lot. We thought, you know what? We should just go ahead and continue to do these episodes from the road. And uh, that way we can keep giving the audience the benefits of our guests wisdom. But before we get into our guest today, uh, I want to talk about some travel wisdom because you said something last week on LinkedIn. You talked about a device, the AirFly Pro, which I immediately picked up one uh, for myself. This thing is incredible because it lets you turn anything into Bluetooth. Uh, so you can listen to the movies on the flight. You can listen to anything quietly. But what what's something else, some other travel advice you have, Angie, as someone who travels a lot? Well, other than the obvious, drink water, wear comfortable clothes, all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> I think the best thing about traveler traveling is having a traveler's mindset. I know everybody gets so nervous about time and places to be that it can really just kind of consume your focus. I've been traveling, as you have as well, for so many times. I've just really resign myself to the travel experience. It is what it is. It's either going to be on time or it's going to be late, but just to rather stew in those moments, be a little bit curious and just say like, Hey, I'm alive. I'm grateful. I thought about that this morning. I woke up at 4am. My husband, God bless him, drove me to the airport. And, you know, I think sometimes we approach these experiences like I have to go to the airport, but no way I get to, I want to, I'm here in St. Louis with a client. It's awesome. How about you? What are some of your best practices and maybe some of your travel mindset? Best practices for me when I'm going to a gig, I always get the 6am flight like you, because it's the least likely to be canceled or have any kind of delay. So the earlier I can get out the door, uh, the better for me, uh, it's not always pleasant but it is it does get the job done uh other things uh oh, for me you know it's i'm always trying to eat healthy on the road and this is not meant to sound like a commercial this person is not paying me and there's i have no affiliation with them but i have these things i brought in and it's called leaf side these are like freeze-dried like good healthy meals you can throw in your suitcase and put a cup or two of hot water on them let them sit for 10 minutes and you have a healthy meal does it taste spectacular? No, it doesn't. They're not going to earn a Michelin star anytime soon, but it does get you some nutrients. And I always feel better when I'm eating healthy. Oh, that's a really great point. I travel with Starbucks Vias because I love. Okay, so we own Morsels Coffee and Morsels has the best coffee in the world. My husband and I do. He runs their, you know, the show first full time all the time. Morsels has great coffee and I really like Starbucks. So I travel with my Starbucks vias. Those are just the things that I go to. So I don't have to suffer through hotel coffee. Yeah. And the other thing that really helps me, and it sounds like it helps you as well, is my wife. I have a, a wonderful spouse who's very supportive, who will drive me to the airport in the morning. And whenever I can kind of talk to her on the phone at the end of the day, it always recharges my battery as most re great relationships in our lives tend to do, uh, which I think is a great segue into today's guest. Uh, AJ Harbinger, the co-host of the Art of Charm podcast. And Angie, you're the person who uh, you knew AJ and had the idea to bring him onto the show. Yeah, I was actually a guest on his podcast. That's the only thing Kobe Bryant and I have in common is that we've both been guests 
on AJ's podcast, uh, when I was promoting my book bet on you, I had the opportunity to go sit with him. And I was listening just to their work in the emotional intelligence space, which we'll talk about, I'm sure in the podcast, EQ is another way to think about that. I just knew that he would be a wonderful complement to the work that we're doing in regards to helping people take meaningful risks in their life. So it's going to be a fun conversation. Well, let's just dive into it today with AJ Harbinger on Bet on You Radio. AJ, I am so excited that you're here. You're also a Michigander, something Ben and I love so much about you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. One of the cool things about you, um, and we'll talk about your career just because it's so dynamic and interesting, is that you were podcasting before podcasting was cool. I mean, I talked to my mom yesterday and she just started using her podcast app and you started more than 10 years ago. Tell us your story because it's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think that we've been doing as long as we have. And of course, our families were not excited about the idea of us starting a podcast and making that career change. But essentially, you know, we found ourselves in a situation having great conversations while out with friends and thinking to ourselves, man, if we could record this and share it with more people, wouldn't that be amazing? And I was a big nerd back in the day, and I was on a website called Slashdot.org. And I saw a little article about podcasting and how you could record audio and share it on the internet. So we bought some equipment on Amazon, having no idea how to hit record or what to do. And after a bunch of start, stop, fails in my basement in Ann Arbor, uh, we started putting up some episodes, just having conversations around how to become more confident, overcome social anxiety, make better friends after graduating from the University of Michigan, grow our social circle and improve our dating lives. And the show got a little bit of a following. And funny enough, Google had just opened an office in Ann Arbor, and we were putting business cards advertising the show around bathrooms and restaurants in Ann Arbor. And a Google employee found the podcast card, shared it with his buddy at Apple, and they featured us on the homepage of Apple Podcasts. And we saw this hockey stick-like growth. And that's when I decided, well, maybe there is something here with podcasting. Maybe I should step away from graduate school and, and do it full time. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I love to hear more about that decision because that's a huge decision to step away from something you've invested so much time, so much money in to start something so new that not a lot of people at the time were familiar with. I mean, that must have been difficult. Tell me about that decision a little bit. Yeah, I will be honest. It didn't feel difficult in the moment, but now when I get asked about it, everyone with all of their thoughts and feelings about it makes it seem more difficult than it was. So backstory, I was at the University of Michigan in undergrad and I was planning on going to medical school. A big part of my childhood was dreaming about becoming a doctor. And I was working on my med school application and I wanted to strengthen it. I was talking to my advisor and she said, you know, your application is strong, but if you really want to get into Michigan med school, we probably have to strengthen it further. Have you done some volunteering at hospitals? Have you done any research? And I had volunteered in the hospital. I thought that was okay, but research seemed interesting to me. So I got a job doing research as an assistant. And this professor that I was working for was a head and neck surgeon. And he was basically resecting tumors from patients. And then I would run into the OR, grab the tumor, and I would do some experiments on it. So I was basically a one-man lab. And we, after about a year of work, we had a great animal model around head and neck cancer stem cells, and we decided to publish. And when we published, because my boss at the time was not a tenured professor, he felt that we would have a stronger position to get in a journal if we partnered with another lab. 
So we partnered our data with Stanford. It was a high-powered stem cell lab out of Stanford, and we got published in a great journal. But in that process, I got bumped to third author. So I'd done all of this work, and I was hoping to get credit for it for my med school application, and I didn't. And I started to learn how academic research worked. Well, my boss at the time, was he was very upset that I was taking it so poorly. He thought it would be fine. Hey, it's still going to help you get into graduate school. And he was like, you know, you were doing this lab work on your own. Have you ever thought about a PhD program instead of an MD track? You seem to really grasp onto the research in the last year. And I think you're doing graduate school level work. And I was like, you know, I never really thought about it, but it is interesting to me. I did enjoy the, the year's worth of work that I did. So he's like, listen, I'll help you get into the University of Michigan grad school. I'll pull some strings, get you some interviews, just go ahead and take the exam and let's work on your application. So I only applied to the University of Michigan PhD program. I got in with his help. And then when I got there, everyone around me was smarter, more published, had been thinking about being a PhD, I felt their whole life. And I had imposter syndrome. All of my friends from undergrad had moved away, was starting over, surrounded by people that I looked up to, but I didn't feel that I belonged. And I started the podcast around, man, how do I build a social circle in Ann Arbor now that all my friends moved away? How do I get my dating life on track when I'm feeling this lack of confidence? And how do I get over this imposter syndrome? Like, obviously, I got in, but I don't feel that I belong. And the podcast opened some doors to interviews. And as I said, we were just sort of guerrilla marketing around Ann Arbor. And we got a really fortunate break to be featured by Apple. And then once the downloads really started to come in, the listeners of the podcast were reaching out to us, asking us for coaching and support. They really resonated with our personal journey around building a social circle and feeling these struggles after graduating, feeling a little bit lost in their career and what they had picked as a major. And as I started coaching and helping people, I just found myself wanting to do that 24-7. Like Even when I was in the lab doing research and I was in school, I was daydreaming about the podcast and how to market it differently and who we could interview and reaching out to people. And as more and more doors open, I just finally said, I'm going to take a break from graduate school. I'm going to drop out. And of course, my family was devastated. That meant leaving Michigan, moving to New York, trying to turn this podcast into something larger as a coaching company. And I remember packing up all my stuff in Ann Arbor and driving into Manhattan and it kind of hit me once I crossed the bridge into the city that I had given up security in my family's eyes of a graduate school degree, security in a career. I knew in science that I could make money. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship or running a business. But then there was that overwhelming excitement of, well, what is this new opportunity for me in Manhattan? And that led to the SiriusXM radio show and the coaching company growing over the last decade plus. So you keep on talking about we and your partner is... Johnny. How did you meet Johnny? So Johnny and I, basically, when we were uh, at another event in DC, we sort of ran into each other and stayed in touch. And over time, realized that he was in a rock and roll band and he was running a, a bar in Northern Virginia. And he basically was looking for a change in his career as well. And as the show started to pick up steam and we found ourselves doing this virtual coaching of our listeners... We both decided to make the plunge and move, and we just felt that New York City offered the options we were looking for. So we moved out, and of course, once we got to New York, then the guerrilla marketing went into overdrive, trying to meet as many people as possible. Uh, as my partner likes to say, Johnny, you know, kicked down as many doors as possible in the city 
to make a name for ourselves, make a big splash. And funny enough, we got made fun of on Saturday Night Live. And that's when I really felt I had made it. So on the weekend update, <laughs> uh, they had heard about the seminars we were running and they cracked some jokes about us. So I immediately texted my dad and I was like, we've even uh, featured on Saturday Night Live. So I, I think I did it. Uh, oh, man, there's <laughs> nothing like getting made fun of on national television to let you know you've arrived. You've made it. Yep. <laughs> I want that to happen to me. <laughs> I know. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous oh. of being made fun of in public. <laughs> AJ, the outside looking in. There was an entrepreneurial spirit in you from the very beginning. You can just see it from, you know, taking the initiative to do your own research, you know, wanting to be your own boss kind of and making big decisions. What would you say is a philosophy you live by that has guided you through this whole process that you think has served you well? Really, it's the power of relationships. And as an introvert, I felt like I was really struggling in relationships and building relationships in graduate school. I saw my peers getting ahead because of relationships. I yearned to be better at building strong relationships. And I've really made it my life's work. And now it's what we talk about on the podcast. It's what we work on with our coaching clients. It's how we help the military. And in my mind, those relationships open every door to opportunity in your life. So strengthening your ability to create relationships, even in an age of AI, and we talk about technology advancing, it really is the people-to-people -people relationship building skills that have opened all these great doors for me. I'd like to add that to that question too, because you get to have such in-depth conversations with people. What do you know about people and some of their maybe insecurities or hesitations in regard to relationships? So thinking about our listeners right now who might have an entrepreneurial ambition, but are hesitant maybe to ask or reach out or build connection. What do you know about people through all your conversations? People want to help people. And when we started the podcast, we were shocked how many people were open to coming on the show for just 15 minutes to share their story, to share and help our audience. And I learned very early on that you have to really ask something crazy to get a no. Most times people will say yes and give you a bit of their time and help you out. And it's led to mentorships. It's led to great business relationships. And of course, all those great guests we've had on the show. In fact, Angie, as you know, we end every podcast asking our guests, hey, is there anyone in your network who would be a great guest of the show? And that's led to opportunities like interviewing Kobe Bryant, to talking to some of my heroes, to talking to professors who never do podcasts simply because their network vouched for us and shared that this would be a great interview for them. That's awesome. I think that's a technique we're going to have to steal. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning all sorts of pro tips today. <laughs> well, I love the idea of people helping people. And, you know, we are hardwired to connect and help one another. I don't think we are meant to be silos. Uh, but I'm really curious about the title of your podcast, The Art of Charm. I think there might be some stigma around that word in terms of like, you know, could it be sleazy? Could it be one thing or the other? How do you define charm? So we define charm as leaving people better than you found them. So understanding that it's all about relationships and not only making a great first impression, but what is the impact you have on people in your life? We call that being high value. So for us, it's all about being cooperative. These doors would have been opened for me had I not been opening doors for others and sharing their message on the show. And that really that cooperativity has created all of these immense opportunities for me to come on this show, for me to meet these amazing guests. And we preach the same thing to all of our clients. So many of us look at building relationships as transactional. What can I get from this person or how can they help me? And they're not often thinking about all the value that they provide 
to any relationship in their life. And when you start looking at it from what value can I provide, less about being transactional, so many more people want to help and participate in your mission than you could ever imagine. Sounds like there's not a lot of room for uh, ego in your definition of charm. Absolutely. And I just like from a selfish perspective, I have to ask, what was it like meeting Kobe Bryant? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was absolutely star striking moment, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So we had known about him and starting to do some podcasting. So basically he had written a children's book and he wanted to promote the book. And as we know, promoting books, podcasts is one of the main channels for you. So his team had reached out to us and he was doing a bit of a podcast tour. And of course, we want to talk to Kobe about his career. We want to talk about his mindset. And we weren't sure about what is this children's book? What is Kobe Bryant doing with the children's book? And we read the book and absolutely loved it and now started to understand his real mission. So growing up for him, there weren't any books geared towards young athletes to really teach the mindset and all of those great lessons that he learned on the court. So he wanted to have this impact after his career. And I'll never forget. So we had the studio space. We let everyone know, hey, Kobe's coming on. We asked his team, would it be cool if some of our team members met him as well? Because they were all starstruck, especially here in LA. And one of our team members, cousin, is a huge Lakers fan. And we invited him to get a chance to meet Kobe. When Kobe showed up at the studio, he made a beeline to this boy immediately, walked over, shook his hand, introduced himself as if we don't know who Kobe is, and <laughs> spent a moment, just a genuine moment with him before even jumping into studio and focusing on pitching his book and all the self-promotion that goes on with that. And I'll just never forget all of us remembering that moment of like, wow, like he knows the star power that he has and he knows how many people look up to him and to seek out that opportunity to introduce himself to everyone on the team, to have a special moment, take all the photos, sign the autographs. Um, it really stuck with me just how humble he was after all of the success he's had and all these people wanting something from him. Uh, and it was just an incredible moment for us and our team. You might even call it charming. <laughs> it is charming, absolutely. I think it's wonderful. As, as we talk to, I mean, you've been engaged in so many powerful conversations, AJ. What have you believed you've learned along the journey of just these dialogues? Because you're not just obviously asking the questions. In many situations, I'm sure you're the student. How has your learning yeah, journey advanced as a result of these conversations? I think that's one of the remarkable things about podcasting, uh, especially now as it's grown in popularity, is it opens doors to conversations with so many brilliant people that you would have to pay a Harvard-level tuition to get access to. Mm -hmm. You know, Later today, I'm talking to a Wharton professor who's written his third book, and he's excited to talk to us. So what I try to do with every guest is actually read the book. It's their life's work. It's really important to them. And I look for ways that I can include it in my own life. What can I take out of it? Because when I share that with the audience, I know it's going to have a greater impact. And all of our podcast episodes really focus on the science behind all of these great lessons. And again, that draws back to my science career. I'm most interested in the research, still even to this day, now in the social sciences. And I always find it so fascinating how they set up the experiments, what their hypothesis was, what they were looking for, and then what were the surprises along the way? Because science is always full of surprises. You go in with one idea or thought of how things might happen and unfold, and then you look at the data and you see something completely different. And that's really what we try to do, is bring that science to an impactful place for all of our listeners. Oh, fantastic. 
Have, have you ever had a guest that was just an utter disappointment? And would you mind saying their name right now? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That would not be charming then. No, that would have been charming. But I will say the other side of this question. Have you ever had a guest that just unexpectedly blew you out of the water and just kind of made you realize, wow, this is why I do this? And would you mind sharing their name and maybe a piece of advice they shared? Yeah, absolutely. So Barry Nailbuff is a Yale professor on negotiation. And we've studied negotiation inside and out. And of course, there are some amazing thought leaders around it. Uh, but his book was really foundational to the lessons that we share with our clients. And when he came on the show, he admitted, self-admittedly, he hadn't done a lot of PR, podcasting, media, because he loves just the science of negotiation and actually teaching class. So we went into that interview not really knowing what to expect. And he dropped so many nuggets and gems and just great examples for how to ask for a raise, how to negotiate when you start a new job, that our audience members reached out to us. And it's still some of the best performance clips we have on social media. Uh, again, completely out of nowhere, not a thought leader and famous person in the negotiation space that you would think, but really practical lessons for those of us who are entering our career, who are trying to move up the corporate ladder, uh, as well as just how to negotiate buying a house and all these other conversations around negotiation that we have on a daily lesson with strategies that you can actually use and apply and get results. AJ, I want to talk a little bit more about emotional intelligence. We haven't quite said those words, but I imagine as you're going through interviewing these amazing people on your podcast, you're starting to become more familiar around the science of EQ. And I'd love to hear just your thoughts on the topic, emotional intelligence or EQ, and how that's influencing the work you're doing today. Absolutely. And I think we're starting to see more and more mention of it in popular media. People are starting to get a little more familiar with the term EQ or emotional intelligence. But for me, going back to my graduate school journey, I had no idea why some people just were able to connect instantly, why some people had that gravitas when entering a room and could hold people's attention and could build relationships effortlessly. It was something that I wanted, I craved after losing my friends after graduating from undergrad. So as we started the journey, a lot of it was okay, let's look at the old text, Dale Carnegie, right? How to win friends and influence people. But the scientist in me, like I wanted to know the hard data, the real strategies, not what was used in salesman terms or how to sell yourself in a sleazy manipulative way. But what does the science really show around increasing your persuasion, having a greater impact and influence on people? And how do you build genuine relationships? Because that really was the key for us. We didn't want to focus on having a ton of friends on Facebook, having a ton of followers, but actual relationships that are the basis of all these opportunities in our lives. So part of this journey was actually reaching out to professors who were studying emotional intelligence, studying relationship building in a lab setting and inviting them on the show to share their findings. And what was coming out very early on in the start of the podcast was just the importance of nonverbal communication. And it was really something that I hadn't really thought of. I was looking for the magic words. What are the phrases that you need to say to really have an impact? And as we started to look at the research, we realized that most of our nonverbal communication happens before we even open our mouths. So how do you actually perform from a body language standpoint that gets people's attention, that gets their interest? I had practiced in public speaking in graduate school how to speak on stage, but I never really thought about it in a social setting or at a networking event, what my body language was doing. So we went really deep into the study of body language and 
what are those signals that allow people to take interest in you and have a great first impression? And what kept coming up again and again from body language was, well, what happens in conversation? And for many of us, again, going back to the words, we focus so much on what we're saying, but in actuality, it's being a better listener. How do you create active listening? And that's what's really formed the basis of the podcast. So why the conversations flow effortlessly on the show was us working on our own listening skills to take the conversation in a direction that allowed the guests to share more a level deeper than maybe some of our audience members have heard on other podcasts. And then how do we actually turn all of that information into conversation into building real trust, right? How do we get this person to not only feel comfortable getting vulnerable with us, but then vulnerability is just the first step to that relationship. How do we foster that trust that they do want to invite us on the show? They do want to have us at the event. They do want to work with us further. So those are really the key areas that we started focusing on in the show and bringing professors and scientists on to discuss because we weren't finding it in your pop culture and newspapers and magazines. And unless you're in business school, unless you were studying the social science, you weren't really encountering any of this information. And there's a lot of sound science at this point around these exact phenomenon. And we wanted to bring it to our audience and of course, use it in our own lives. What's so great about the work you're doing is the skills are transferable, whether you're in sales, whether you're you know, talking and dating, whether you're you know, trying to lead a team at work, this applies to everything. So I would love just for our listeners, like when you're actively listening and you're tuned into someone's body language, what are three things you try to make sure you're doing? And what are three things you're looking for in the other person that might let you know you need to shift the way you're, you're uh, communicating with them and trying to connect? So the first thing I want to point out from what you shared is these are skills. So, so often, and especially when I was starting in my career, I saw other people as having it and I didn't have it. And I thought you were born with it. And oh, mm -hmm. if I could just be like them. But understanding that these are skills that we can build and we can work on. Some of us are very fortunate to have opportunity to build these skills early in life. Maybe we had great supportive parents or maybe we grew up in a, a big household where we were interacting with lots of people and socializing. So it came more naturally to us. But it really is important to recognize that these are skills we can work on. Listening is a skill you can get better at. So I'll be honest, the first thing that I did to get a, become a better listener was edit the podcast, was actually listen to the conversations and take notes on all the conversational branches that I missed. All of the opportunities were, oh, if I had just said this, or oh, that would have been more interesting. How can I explore that a little bit further? So breaking down the game tape, much like an athlete does, to understand conversationally what's going on and are there some patterns to how I'm communicating where maybe I'm not paying as close attention or I'm trying to force my agenda in the conversation. Can I back off of that and allow the guests to share more? So that was one of the first steps for me at becoming a better listener. The second thing was realizing that your body language is far more important as the person I'm interviewing than my body language. So I like to call it the lightning before the thunder. So I'm looking for your emotional response mm -hmm. as I'm asking you the question. Your facial expressions are gonna tell me a lot about how you feel about the question, if you're really enthusiastic or interested in answering that, or maybe we picked a topic that isn't that inspiring to you. Your facial expressions are gonna share that information first, and then the words, right, then the thunder. So when I'm in an interview, I'm paying close attention to, and that's why we do video or in person, how the guest is responding to the questions that we're asking. And are there ways 
based on their response to take that question deeper, to, to follow that conversational thread a little further. And then the third thing that I would say for those of us who are looking to become better listeners is to start to ask yourself, what hasn't been said? What hasn't been shared? Right? So maybe in an interview, the guests will want to talk a lot about their research, but they haven't really said much about what inspired them to start working on that. So a lot of times when we get to academic books and we get to people who are sharing all this great information that they've learned, they don't often get a chance to share, well, what sparked that curiosity in them? So in their answers, I'm looking for, okay, what's being said? What's the emotional response? And are there some areas that maybe they're avoiding? Can we explore that a little bit further? Can we dig that out in conversation? <laughs> uh, so that for me is really why I think it's so important to start a podcast, to record yourself, to have conversations with other people. So you can really unwind, rewind that tape, break down the game tape and see how you're showing up in interviews. And once you get a good sense for how you show up, then how can you be more fully present to just pay close attention to how the guest is showing up and all those great conversational threads will flow from there. AJ, you bring up such a great point. I think if everybody used the voice memo recorder on their iPhone, whether they're presenting or in a meeting, or even if they're just conversing, and of course, let the other person know that they're being recorded too. That's really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it would. I mean, I think we'd all be more, I'll say critical, of course, self-critical, but it would be enlightening to think about missed opportunities for connection. AJ, so this is what I've just been fascinated by. You talk about having and creating these quality, genuine, authentic relationships with people. And that just kind of can help you get things to the next level in your life. My question is, it seems like it takes so much time and energy and focus to do that. Is that something you can scale? How do you, you know, establish quality relationships with everyone you encounter? Because that feels like a, a monumental task. So the key to relationship building is vulnerability. And there's a lot of great research around, it's not just time spent, but it's about what's shared in the time spent together. So I work with a lot of clients who feel that they have a ton of relationships in their life, but they don't have that best friend that would help them move out of their apartment or would give them a couch to crash on if they went through a breakup. And in those situations, just because you're spending time together, just because you're out socializing and doing fun things, doesn't actually lead to the deepening of the relationship that you're looking for. So vulnerability for us is really in three buckets. We call it past, present, and future. And we don't want to just jump to religion, politics, core values with someone we don't know, right? It's going to be very off-putting. They're probably not going to feel very comfortable sharing. But if we start sharing from the past first, our past experiences, life lessons we've learned along the way, much like you guys here asking me about my journey with the Art of Charm, that's an area that both of us are going to feel comfortable sharing a little bit about ourselves. And it opens up storytelling. From the past, we can start to work towards the present and our vulnerability. What are our thoughts and feelings of the world around us? What's happening in our here and now? And then we can move to the future, hopes and dreams and, and fears. And if you think about it as a continuum of vulnerability, if you're starting with the past, you're unspooling a little bit of your life, you're allowing the other person to get to know you and share a bit of their life, that vulnerability is going to lead to them feeling more comfortable sharing more about their life. And once we have some similarities and commonalities working in our favor, all of a sudden we're building relationships in a more effortless manner than just time spent together which I think a lot of us over-index on without bringing the vulnerability piece into those relationships. 
100%. And you're saying this word vulnerability. And I know you do a lot of work with first responder communities, military, and, you know, coming from my Marine Corps background, that word vulnerability used to make me cringe. You know, in the military, if you have a vulnerability, you're kind of exposing a weak spot for an enemy to exploit. So vulnerability was something you absolutely did not want to have. And you're talking, though, about emotional vulnerability. And I would be so curious. So I guess this is a two-part question. Talk a little bit about your work today and how you're making the concept of vulnerability at least being redefined for people, because I think that's a really important topic to explore. I certainly agree that vulnerability oftentimes, especially with our military clients, is seen as that weakness to be avoided. And what ends up happening is there's no real connection built in a lot of their social life outside of the military. So when you're in a hierarchical structure and you're basically taught to speak in one way, which is avoid vulnerability, it's very hard then for you to come back from the battlefield and have a deeper relationship with your spouse or build a social circle outside of veterans. And as we know, there's so many mental health issues around loneliness and suicide for veterans who are struggling to build and deepen those relationships. So what I was sharing earlier to unpack vulnerability in a way that is more comfortable for all of us to not only understand, but apply. So when we work with our military clients, we start with the past. What are those experiences and life lessons that you took from those experiences? Because we all made mistakes along the way. But a mistake I had in third grade where I made a fool of myself is far less impactful in the here and now. And we can both get a laugh and smile about because we've all had those moments of mistake making and regret. And then we can move towards, okay, if I'm sharing and you're sharing a bit of our past and we're feeling comfortable, then leading the way and sharing the present. What are your thoughts and feelings about the world that we're living in right now? And how is that guiding your future actions? If we can work vulnerability through that continuum, it becomes something that's a lot less scary and it isn't actually a weakness. It's a way for us to find those shared moments and opportunity for connection to be built. So in the work that we do with the military, and in large part, this is what I was going back to earlier around recording yourself and breaking it down and just seeing for yourself what's going on in these interactions, we want to raise our client's self-awareness. So we have a version of ourselves that's playing in our head internally of reality, of how we're presenting ourselves and how the world is perceiving us. And it wasn't until I took a public speaking course where I actually filmed myself on stage and looked at what I was doing well, but also what are some things that I'm doing wrong that maybe aren't enforcing, reinforcing what I'm sharing and communicating from stage. Playing that tape back really helped me allow myself to get more comfortable on stage. It was tough at first to see the video and see the mistakes, but I quickly learned from them, implemented, and all of a sudden my presentations became more impactful. So we brought that into our classroom. And what we do is we simulate social environments where you're meeting a stranger for the first time. You don't know anything about each other. We simulate networking events where you have an opportunity to join a group conversation. And we actually film all of our participants in these moments. And when we play back the tape, the very first thing we do is we actually play it back with no sound. So what are the oh nonverbal cues that are coming across on this video? If you can't hear what's going on, you're across the room, what are you picking up on? Is this person charismatic? Do they look anxious? Do they look comfortable? Do they look like they want to leave? And those nonverbal cues are not only appearing to the people in conversation, but the entire room can pick up on that. And you might be getting avoided in these environments because you're sending the wrong nonverbal signals. 
The reason we love this exercise is because it also sharpens their ability to perceive and pick up on nonverbal signals. When you remove the audio section, not only are they seeing themselves, but all the other group participants are now reading body language at a different level. They're noticing things that they wouldn't have noticed if the sound was on. Then we play back the video a second time with the audio and we look for those conversation branch points. Was this an opportunity for you to turn towards an emotional bid when someone is trying to connect with you? Or is this something where you quickly changed the subject or you reoriented the conversation back towards yourself instead of the other person? So in breaking down the video with all of our clients, military and civilian, it creates a powerful reference point for you to work from and improve on and raises your self-awareness so you know exactly how you are showing up in these situations instead of guessing or pretending like you realize just based on the story and self-narrative we've built up in our heads. Oh, fantastic. You know, AJ, I heard someone once say that the first language we all learn, it's not English, it's not Spanish, it's body language. And if our body language is saying something different than the words that are coming out of our mouth, it, foster, it has the ability to foster at best confusion, at worst distrust. So kind of doing what we did earlier, you know, you, you gave us some great things to look for in other people. What are some things we should make sure we're doing with our body language so that people see us as open and not uh, someone they need to avoid? I love this because so many of us will focus on our body language in conversation, and we have a very simple drill for all of our participants. So growing up, my dad was a single dad, and he wanted to take me out and show me off to his friends. And he would always tell me the most important moment is when I walk up and shake his friend's hands. So I'm a 10-year-old boy. I go meet his friends, and I'd shake their hand, look them in the eye, and I want to look you know, more adult and confident. And that stuck with me. I thought, okay, the moment I shake someone's hand, the moment I introduce myself, that's when the body language matters. But science actually says the body language matters most when they first see you. And that's when we enter a room. So we cue all of our group participants, military and civilian, on what we call our doorway drill. How do you make the greatest impact when you enter a door? And what we do is we stand up tall as if there's a string pulling you from the top of your head so you're not slouched over like we might be at our computer. We put a smile on our face to showcase enthusiasm, to draw people in, and we open our arms. And that allows us to have an open body language signal to the room. That openness of uncrossing our arms lets people know that we're open to communication, we're enthusiastic, we're happy and excited to be there, and we're walking confidently and prideful through that room. Those three things are gonna have an impact in any room you walk in, whether it's a job interview, whether it's a first date, or maybe it is that meetup group that you just moved to a new city and you're looking to make new friends. Those are very impactful moments in any social environment, and they're often overlooked because we feel like we just have to turn it on when we're talking to this one person instead of letting the entire room know, I'm here, I'm present, I'm charismatic, and I'm excited to talk to you. We're now at the point in our event where we get to talk about Ben's and my five favorite questions. You, AJ, have probably read thousands of books because you read the books before people come into your studio, whether it's a virtual live. And so I would love to hear from you. This might be a hard question, but if you can just pick a book that was really influential or inspirational to you at a key point in time, what was that book? Yeah, I, I love sharing this one. Give and Take by Adam Grant. 
So we give it to all of our class participants. And it really illuminated for me as a closeted people pleaser, the impact and power of giving. And oftentimes you can feel like the world is just out to take advantage of you and people who just are selfish get ahead. But in actuality, he does a great job of walking through the science of how giving actually leads to success, not only in building great relationships, but success in your career. Now, we don't want to be a doormat, so we don't want to just give, give, give and exhaust ourselves. So he has some great ground rules to give in a way that empowers you and is impactful for others. And I just found that just so tremendously helpful as a core value myself of being generosity, how I could do it in a way that fills me up instead of drains me and has a great impact on relationships in my life. AJ, we're in our time machine. We're going back to that guy that just wanted to build relationships, that just felt vulnerable, felt like he didn't know what to do. If you could give that individual one piece of advice, what would it be? It really comes down to patience. And it's why I've stayed successful as an entrepreneur. So often we're looking for fast results. And as I said earlier, looking for tricks and strategies and games that we can do. But in actuality, it's just being on the field. It's being engaged and picking yourself up when you make mistakes and fall back down, that leads to all these great successes in your life. And I've been so fortunate to share success with you guys, but I have a laundry list of failures, far greater than any of these success moments that I've shared with you. And it's through patience that I've continued to dust myself off, put myself back in the arena. And I think that for me, if I had stuck with that in my 20s, I'd be even further along because I was too busy looking for shortcuts and hacks to skip ahead when in actuality, I just needed more time on the field. I love that phrase too, that sometimes you just have to get caught trying. You know, if you put yourself out there, things will happen. And the patience piece is really key. In the process of your growth and development, I would be curious, AJ, if you have a piece of feedback that somebody gave to you that was really insightful. So again, it could be constructive, it could be affirming, but a piece of feedback that was really insightful for you. So again, going in line with this patience thing, it really was the understanding that mindset is far more powerful than strategies. So this piece of feedback came from a business coach that I had. I had just started working with him and I was super excited to pick his brain and all these strategies to improve our digital marketing and our lead generation. And he kept coming back to why, why is this so important to me? And why am I feeling so much pressure around this exact thing? And as we started to unspool it, it was due to the stories that I was telling myself that I wasn't enough. And if I could just get that next lead, if I could just make that next sale, then I would be ahead. And once I started to understand the mindset piece that goes along with success and bringing that to the show and asking our guests the same thing, I realized that I need to focus on pruning my garden. So we talked to our clients about weeding your garden. You're never going to have a beautiful crop grow if it's overwhelmed with weeds. Those weeds are the negative thoughts that turn into emotions, that turn into beliefs, that ultimately turn into actions. And if you're not tending your mental garden and minding those weeds, you're never going to grow the crop that you want, the business that you want, the relationship that you want, the social circle that you're looking for. Oh, dude, I take. I know everyone is taking notes. I'm taking notes. This is great. I just wish this could go on for like another four hours. But that being said... So we talked about three types of vulnerability. The easiest to share is vulnerability from the past. Uh, earlier in this podcast, the first time I said AJ's name, I actually said AJ Behringer, uh, which might speak more to my problem drinking than anything else. Uh, but I know now that in the future, I should write the name down and have it right in front of me when we do this virtually. 
AJ, I would love it if you had a story that you might say could be embarrassing or maybe a little or funny from your past that led to a piece of practical wisdom that you could share with our audience that they could apply to their lives today. Absolutely. So it was a snowy night in Ann Arbor and I was on a first date and I was so excited that we had a great time and we were walking back to my car to drop her off and there was black ice and I slipped and I fell and I actually split my chin open. And I was so embarrassed. I had a little drop of blood running down my chin onto my shirt. I could see it in the car mirror. And she's driving in the passenger seat with me. And I'm just like, oh, I made a fool of myself. I ruined this date. I can't believe it. I'm beating myself up mentally. Well, we ended up dating for five, six years. And uh, people would ask me, how'd you guys meet? What was the first date like? And I would tell this story. And the first time I shared this story with her that I'm like, I can't believe she stayed with me. I was bleeding on our first date. She was like, what? No, you weren't. So, so often we have this story of reality built up in our mind and it ends up impacting us in a lot of ways. Negative thoughts saying, oh, this person's not going to like me or, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not attractive. When in actuality, everyone is telling their own stories and everyone is so self-focused, they're not picking up on all of these details that you think are holding you back. So it's just such a valuable lesson for me that even if you make mistakes socially, even if you make mistakes on a first date, you can still build a great relationship with someone and you don't have to hold yourself to this level of perfection that is impossible to reach as a human. Let those moments and mistakes guide you in your future actions, but not hold you back by beating yourself up mentally. Awesome. Just great. Like. <laughs> You've been um, shouting out so many words of wisdom. So I'll try to get this a little specific for our last question, AJ. You know, obviously our audience is people who are trying to take bets on themselves, invite risk into their life. What words of wisdom do you have for somebody who's trying to make a risk, whether it's a relationship, maybe it's a goal or an aspiration? What words of wisdom could you offer? Get comfortable with discomfort and uncertainty. And oftentimes when we're trying to bet on ourselves and we're looking at this one risk, maybe it's a career change or maybe it's moving to a new city or, or maybe it's a breakup that is a risk. We often get so focused on that risk and we don't think about all the other times in our life where we've been in discomfort, where we've taken action, where we have bet on ourselves. So if you have a big impending choice or a big impending risk, Pick up a guitar, try a new hobby, learn a language, stretch yourself in ways where you're going to fail and make mistakes. You're going to deal with that discomfort so you can bring that grit and resilience into the decision-making process to leave graduate school, to move to a new city. So many moments in my life, I was putting myself in discomfort or I was forced into discomfort and that strengthened my ability to take that leap in that moment. So I would say for anyone who's looking to bet on themselves, Look to make smaller bets in other areas of your life that you're passionate about, where failure picking up a guitar or getting on stage or doing improv isn't going to impact your career, isn't going to impact your social life, but is going to get you more comfortable with that uncertainty and discomfort that comes with risk-taking. Oh, excellent. And I, one more bonus question here, AJ. I know our listeners are going to want to hear more from you. How can they, where can they find you? Where can they find you? Where can they learn more? How can they get your advice in their life? Well, if they're listening to this podcast right now, open up their app and they can search The Art of Charm podcast. You'll find us on all of your favorite podcast players. And theartofcharm.com is where you can find out about all of our great in-person training. And if you happen to be military and you want to work with us, elitehumandynamics.com is, is where you can find all of our military resources. 
We'll be sharing that far and wide. Thank you so much, AJ, for being a guest today on Bet On You Radio. Thank you both. This is great. Angie, what an episode. I love talking to AJ. One of the things I was thinking about when he was talking about the mistakes or the embarrassing situations, nobody knows. It put my mind back to when I was in second grade and I had to go to the bathroom and I am peeing my pants in the chair, but it was right around the time when milk was being delivered. So I just dumped the whole jug of milk on my lap and ah. it made it look like a total mistake. And so we think sometimes <laughs> that the mistakes that we make, <laughs> we can see it one way, but there's a way to recreate them. And then of course my parents came and gave me pants, but. <laughs> oh, and it's, and the, the scar has healed, I hope, I assume. I assume it has. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're talking about it. I'm, we're laughing and having a good time. But that's a past experience that he was talking about those past, present, and future moments. Do you have something embarrassing from your past that you want to share? Oh, he was, as he was just talking about this date, I thought about my first kiss uh, in seventh grade. And I'd like to make a public apology now to Casey if you're out there. I know it was supposed to be an important first kiss, and I got you right on the nostril. I missed. I just flat out missed. It was. Uh, <laughs> It was a high stakes situation and I, uh, I misfired the, uh, you blew it. I blew it. I blew it. But <laughs> yes, but what I love about what he said, and I think one of my biggest takeaways is when it comes to building relationships, vulnerability is the fast track. And if it's, you know, risky or feels, you know, makes you nervous or scared, you know, start in the past and work your way to the future because that's just how you do it. And I, and it, it's one of those things you hear a lot, but he really just put it in a way that was so succinct that it made so much sense. And I cannot wait uh, to share that with friends. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you picked up some really great tidbits and words of wisdom. We'll see you next time on Bet on You Radio. Take care. Mm-hmm.